0: All right, podcast fans, uh, welcome to episode 12 of Totem Reality Podcast, and it is a awesome 12th one because we have our first guest today.
1: Woo. Woohoo! I'm your first guest. First oh, guest. Wow.
0: Yeah, Brian Dolan, the president of Discovery. We'll let him talk about that a little bit here in a few minutes. But uh, excited to have you here. Thank you. I feel like he uh, he made a post on LinkedIn a little bit more than a month ago, maybe, and. It felt like it was a agenda for a podcast. It seemed perfect. Um, and he starts off this post by saying, what are you assuming will absolutely be the situation in the future that might not actually be so? And then goes on to talk about a few things that we'll get into. Um, and the topic of the day that we're going to dig into or the current event is they just announced that the cost of raising a child from birth through high school has gone up 33% in the last five years. So in 2017, it was $233,000, plus or minus. And in 2022, it's $310,000. So if you had a baby five years ago and... Which I did. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Perfect. And you were... Um,
2: well, this an is accountant, going to be depressing for you, <laughs> <laughs> in an
0: accountant mindset, and you thought you were only going to have to figure out two hundred and thirty-three thousand dollars, and they got to kindergarten, and someone told you it was going to be three ten. What you thought was going to be the case might not actually be so. So, welcome. Thank you. Um, maybe a little bit about discovery, and then what you think about this change of expenses in raising children
1: um so discovery uh it is a technology that allows brokerage companies not your kind of world but in the waste and recycling world uh, the ability to automate their ar and ap processes a lot of the world that uh, exists today is excel or google sheets or some sort of hauler software that's converted to sort of maybe do a little bit of what we need but we have a lot of manual work Hmm. Um, And so we built this software over the past, officially over the past five years, um, but it sort of had roots all the way back as far as 2015. And it really brings the AP and AR processes within minutes of each other. So you can do a much more efficient process, you can automate a lot more. Um, And we've got customers who are going from processing a couple thousand invoices a month. With a handful of people, so say 5,000 invoices with four people, to using one and a half people, two people, to wow. do the same work, and they do it in a shorter amount of time, and their cash flow is faster, and they can answer questions better, and you know, I could ramble. Um, I'll let Michael do that later. So, yeah. well, <laughs> I, love I, have, it.
2: I do have some general questions because I know nothing about the
1: um, waste. I've heard that about waste page. Don't worry. in
2: this Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> nothing about anything. I'm just here to ask the questions. Um, but what. You're on Michael's team. Yeah. <laughs> um, what uh, When you say your customers, so who, first of all, I didn't know until I looked at your website again today, refreshing for this moment, that there were even brokers in waste management. So if, if you well, could so explain a, that interface and then who yeah. in the process your customers are.
1: So there's a couple of varieties of what I'd call brokers in our space. There's... Um, straight up brokers who make a margin on a vendor cost to their customer, right? So there's three parties in that triangle. Um, there's people who are more cost auditors. There's people who come from a uh, management standpoint where they might be charging just a flat fee. They're shared savings people. So there's different business models. And so our software has to account for all of that. So it's a little fun that way. Um, but that those companies, there's. I was actually updating the list today. There's between 250 and 300 of them in the U.S. and Canada. There's not a lot of them, right? Okay. But some of them are really big. Um, two of them are public. Uh, Rubicon Technologies, out of Kentucky, it's led by a guy named Nate Morris. Um, he just took that public through a SPAC deal uh, last week, maybe. Huh. Um, and then there's another company called uh, uh, Quest Resource Holding that is maybe out of Texas they've been public for a little bit longer um, and so it's kind of interesting that there's two public companies now in this space you can go read their information and understand things about them and so I have a lot of fun doing that I won't bore your audience <laughs> with all the details of that but they disclose a lot of information it's very interesting to understand from my position trying to build software for that space
2: okay so those are the brokerage yeah
1: Companies. And then I completely okay. forgot what you asked us the following Well, question.
2: And then who, who the would is? your customers be?
1: That, those groups.
2: Those are your customers. Yeah, and yeah. then they interface with the larger waste management companies so they, that we would hear about. Yeah,
1: so they like work the, with all the things from like a Vogel to, uh, uh, to a Castriota, um, all the way up to a waste management. And then their customers are, you know, these type of buildings we're in today here at Gateway – all the way to small churches or, or grocery stores or things like that, All in you know, any, any place that has trash, right? And the beauty of, kind of the beauty of the way the trash world works is everybody thinks the real estate is a super unique thing, and it, it is, except for when you walk out the back to a loading dock or out the back door or something, it's very similar, right? Go around the back of any mall, um, it's very similar. Go around the back of any place in Squirrel Hill or the Strip District, they're pretty similar, mm. right? So there's different varieties, of course, but there's a trash bin. A dumpster. There's a process the dumpster. A so dumpster. Yeah. Right. Cool.
2: Yeah. Very interesting.
1: Yeah. So we don't disclose who our customers are because it's sort of a low trust industry, and um, it's actually cost us a few deals along the way because people were hesitant early on with our technology, and so I just said, okay, that's fine. I don't. You know, I'm not going to build my company off the back of our customers. So right. it's uh, it's kind of fun that way because no one knows anything about us.
3: How big is the trash industry?
1: Uh, depending on how you measure it it's 40 billion plus so that's and not our target
3: everybody has
1: it everybody has it and it's not going away
3: mm-hmm. no it is not going away and it's right. constantly produced
1: it's, and, and, and the, growing. what people don't realize most of all is that the waste um, I was in your kitchen a little bit ago and there's three different things for things and this is an unpopular opinion but the reality is that most of the waste that is produced is actually not produced by you or I at home most of the waste that is produced is produced by some sort of industry, you know, the process. Project. Something yeah. depends mm-hmm. on what it is. Um, I've been in different uh, facilities all throughout the country, and the larger things you can think of, uh, from your grocery stores to your uh, discount stores, to all those kinds of things they produce a certain amount of stuff, but a lot of it's cardboard, Like that, that actually has a process to it. But a lot of the production somewhere further up the chain that actually makes the thing that but, you uh, consume, that produces a lot of waste. And so mm-hmm. by weight, a lot of it's in that environment. What you and I do is a small portion of the world.
3: Huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the impact that it has on me is I'm in the getting rid of it, part of it with the, biz- with the properties yeah. that I have in West Virginia. And we spend about $2,000 a month on trash. Mm-hmm. Just taking stuff away, yep. the dumpsters and everything like that, and it's never-ending. And the part that I find kind of irritating, out of the, other than the, the whole thing about paying a bill, is... Uh, <laughs> other than everything. No, no it's just the, uh, the constant increases and in the lack of the ability to deal with these guys. You know, it's just like talking to the guy who picks up your trash... You don't get a lot of what I would call customer service regarding. Well, that.
1: that's not his job,
3: right? Probably not. Right.
1: He's good yeah. at his job, which is yeah. being on time with the truck, being safe, doing his job, right? And, and that. Taking and there it were away. three trash truck rollover, tip over, crash incidents in the last couple of weeks here in Western PA. Um, so that job can be dangerous because it's a fifty thousand pound truck barreling down the road, and he's relying yeah. on some guy who was doing the brakes and maintaining it in the shop. You know, I mean, so it's. It's a different job, but the customer service part that you refer to is more tied to, which comes back to this uh, thing you brought up about costs, is more tied to the fact that there's a lot of regulation that goes on in that world. And then there's a lot of pressure on that world around drivers. Um, so the average age of the drivers, I, I don't remember it offhand, but it's been steadily increasing and they have shortages of drivers and all these things. So it's, um, it's not completely unreasonable that their costs are rising. But the challenge the consumer has is there's not an Expedia or something or kayak to help you go out there and go where do I find this thing? Where do I find pricing for this? What, what's the real price should be?
2: I didn't mm-hmm. even know it was negotiable. I thought it was just like you you pay. Depends what on where you pay.
1: are. Depends sometimes depends on on it is. Want.
3: Sometimes it's not. In certain communities, there's only one um, uh, hauler. Yeah. Uh, so if you larger
2: to- industrial users, they based on how much they produce, like. Do they get volume discounts or sometimes yeah or yeah. Um, you know if it's a shopping mall user, they can negotiate a national contract through a brokerage?
1: yeah, you know? so the um, hmm. what's Find a big what's a day? big shopping mall? like
2: Simon Simon properties. has its
1: own deal with national providers, mm-hmm. or they have um, each individual location strike their own deal, but they bounce it off somebody in their main office who knows what the price should be, right hmm. so right. It's done different ways, but you know volume matters, right. And um, and then there's the whole uh, the who you paid off at the city, wink wink, nudge nudge type of thing. And I say that tongue in cheek, but it's sort of true because if you ever looked at, I want to say it's uh, one of the cities in West Virginia. And I'm going to blank on it, but they, if you look at the map, it's this, right? So if you're on this side of the street, you have city services. Prices are defined. Mm-hmm. If you're on this side of the street, you don't have city services. Prices are undefined. And so this side of the street will be 1800 bucks a month, and this side will be 3700 What's mm-hmm. the difference? Same hauler. The difference is you're not in the city map. Yeah. Right?
3: In, uh, in Morgantown, there's only one hauler. Okay, whereas I believe where I live in Cheat Lake, uh, there's three or four options. Right. In Parkers And do you Asburg, see
1: the cost difference then? Do you see the cost difference? Then? Not
3: really, because one is commercial, one is residential, and uh, so that I'm, I'm, throwing away, and I'm throwing away a you know barrel of goods here, whereas I have dumpsters that get picked up you know three or four times a week. Yep. Um, and the one in Parkersburg, there's four haulers, but they're all owned by the same company, which I find <laughs> very, incredibly
1: interesting. But that that all feeds back into your the topic you guys brought up of you know why does it cost so much to raise a kid? Mm-hmm. Um, there is a ongoing, so for my, I'm a bit of a history nerd in some ways, if you go back and look at uh, Eisenhower's complaint about the military-industrial complex in the 50s, that whole thing has continued unabated since, right? And whether it's military, industrial, however you look at it, there is a consistent element of higher costs throughout the past 70 years unabated. I can't think of too many things that have been driven down other than computer costs, right? right? Those have come down. So televisions yeah that's to yeah, me that's technology. computer yeah, cost. technology, technology yeah. cost yeah. but all these services type things have been driven down have been driven up excuse me because of uh, what, what I just look at as additional regulation um, and sort of market inefficiencies that go on and it's not a that's why I look at it over the 70 years because it's not a political thing left right up down it's everybody's done it right
3: regulation litigation and then the overall effect of the rest of the economy on those particular industries.
1: Right. Well, I have, I have family members who are lawyers, and I enjoy needling them sometimes because I go, so when, how do you guys get rid of the trial bar? Well, why do you bring this up? Because it costs me money. How do you know it costs you money? Because I can see it. They, do you, someone files a lawsuit for this. They settle it for that. But later on, you have to sign a form. You have to do a thing. You can't do that anymore, right? And you just see that time and time again throughout society and that adds costs. So um, one of the, that's the fun part about our technology is we're trying to drive down that cost.
3: Well, the, the te- going back to the litigation component, the entire system is built for that. You know, you, the, it's built to be settled. Yeah. Law, law is built never to go to court. Ideally to not. The, yes. Because yeah.
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> then it's faster, cheaper, simpler. It's, less risk.
3: Well, it goes back into the risk component. It's right. less risk because no one knows the outcome that can be really bad. So I'll take the outcome that's just bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah.
2: Bad yeah. and known is it's yeah, it's better the known than uh,
3: versus the known unknowns,
2: unknown right? and potentially worse. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Settling mm-hmm. for a million dollars versus having the risk of a $10 million you know, malpractice suit.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Right, But then you're not allowed to have whatever it is as care somehow later because they're afraid of that same situation happening again. Mm-hmm. Right. And then the other
3: part that you touched on was the regulation component, which changes constantly.
1: That's the fun part about the space we were in uh, and the space we're in now. There's not much regulation around technology and waste. There's a lot of regulation mm-hmm. around in landfill. Waste. Yeah, okay. so our regulation around landfill, Right. hauling all these things. There's not a lot of regulation around what technology can I use to mm-hmm. manage my business process. There's none. Wonderful place to be.
0: Yeah. So, Paige, um the topic of the day, five years ago. Well, I guess I should set the stage. Father of two children, two, father of four children, father of seven. Lots of children. Um
2: <laughs> I wanna move to that side of the table now.
0: <laughs> I can do math really quick. Seven times 300 is a big number. Yeah. But you know, if it were to go up another 33% in five years.
1: Yeah,
0: page one. <laughs> hey, yeah, exactly. I, I'm serious. I want to hear your perspective. That would put the bill at 410 uh-huh. if it went up 33 more percent in five years. So I have,
1: I have a different perspective on this. Um, I have a different perspective on this. Whose responsibility is to raise the child? The
2: parents.
0: The parents.
1: Okay. How much of that responsibility have we deferred to the government I have no idea I can't wait yes you do well uh, uh, well it's a start okay Um, when you get health care today do more people get health care in ACA things or do they get it from their business or do they buy it themselves in some way
3: But but even under that scenario, how much of the healthcare industry is controlled by the government? Right, but just play along. Uh, Okay, Uh, just
1: most healthcare is either through your business or through a government ACA ACA thing, right? Okay, so then you have a child. Okay, so now you get a couple weeks off from work. Oh, the government dictates that, right? So I, as an employer, have to provide you a certain amount of time off for a different thing. I can't. I can come up with something beyond that, but I have to provide a certain amount. Okay, so then you go back to work. Three months, and then another three months if they want it? It's 12 weeks unpaid. Okay.
3: This is for what? Having a child? Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, FMLA. FMLA. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so then uh, you go back to work, you want to put your child in daycare. Well, who dictates what the daycares can be? Because in D.C., you now have to have a college degree to run a daycare. Does that raise only prices? In D. C.? Yes, only in DC. Everything in DC is probably only in DC <laughs> <laughs> for the well, time being. Oh, I
3: don't know whether that's. The, the, I think there's other uh, states that have the same kind of restriction. They might, but my the,
1: point in raising it is okay. it's a recent thing. All right. And so, but does that raise prices for daycare or lower prices for daycare? Raises. Raises. It's right? So then, um, okay. So now we've got daycare. Your kid goes to school then kindergarten, first grade, those type of things. Oh, we expanded Head Starts. Your kid can go to that early. Who pays for all that? Who pays for the school? Who pays for all those things? Those are all things that you're paying taxes for that then go to the government for them to inefficiently turn around and give back to you, okay? And so my preface, or my, my point, excuse me, is who whose responsibility is to raise the child? As a society, we've de facto delegated the responsibility to raise the child over to the government. And therefore driving the cost. But do you think
2: think that's us de facto turning the responsibility back over to them, or do you think that's just how societies function? Like, you know, I yes, rich
1: societies end up doing that because they find out that they can borrow money from the future to bring value to themselves today, and go, we'll figure it out later. It's happened time and again.
2: See, and I don't, I don't disagree with you, but I also think that. As a society, we have to raise like the common denominator of the like the care people are getting or the like certain people um, I agree can't afford to send their kids to these or um, could only afford to send their child to the least expensive option, which is where there's not professionals running the daycare. And if it's not regulated, like, how bad could that get to well, where it would
1: be the only thing that they could afford? And that's where we'll come into uh, substantive disagreement is the definition of regulated and professionals. Because my, six, my son, John, who's now 13, he had a really great line one time. Um, I forget the exact details of it. My wife remembers better. But he said, well, Mom, who's going to watch us? And she goes, well, I am. He goes, but you don't have a certificate.
0: <laughs> at the time, she was like No, well, he at the
1: time he was probably seven or something. We had four That's kids, kids or something, and, and you know, and he's a, like, you know, a certificate, it. right? And she still references it today. Yeah. but but this comes back. I'm making a, a joke about my point, though, which is, I understand the the inclination is to say, okay, how do we make sure that we have a baseline of safety of different things, um, and how do we make sure we're rising the tide of all boats, mm-hmm. right? And as a intention that's a great intention as a reality it's super difficult to do from a central planning standpoint right and central planning always leads to a higher cost for that and the best way to do it is to delegate that decision down to okay let that mother pick the solution that's best for her right because as you and I both know dads are going to come up with decisions that are maybe slightly different than moms and dad's probably going to defer to mom most of the time because he's smart and Moms have a pretty good intuition about where they're going to put their kid that's cost effective for them, time effective, all those different things, versus I have to put them in this thing that checks this box because I get this money from the government. Right? It's a different approach and so we've gotten so far away from that, that that's why I think these costs are rising. I have to interject, it's a little bit
0: off topic, but your comment about deferring to mom over the weekend, somebody said to me, um, and it's just hysterical that you can't earn points with mom. You can only lose less points. <laughs> I don't agree with that. I don't <laughs> agree with your with decision making. And I almost fell off my seat. I was like, that's Is very that, insightful. That makes mom, mom the the
2: bad direction. Direction. Mom's mom's that a bad guy. not a Is that directed at the husband or the children? <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, no, it was the husband. Michael, Michael's his brain's <laughs> chewing over here.
3: No, no, I see. I see what you, But you, you're... You're deferring to the fact that this is the way we've done it, so this is the way that it is. It has not always been that
1: way. I understand. It hasn't always been that way, but it's been that way for sixty plus years.
3: Uh, I would say sixty years ago, it wasn't anywhere near as bad as it is today. It wasn't near as pervasive as
1: it was today. Yes, Uh, I agree with that. Okay,
3: maybe I I might buy into that argument. I mean, we public education, which is what most people Mm -hmm. partake in, it's because that
1: doesn't impact this cost at all.
3: Oh, I bet uh, one-third of that Well, what's that in that here is in housing,
1: there. food, clothing, health care, child care. So you I mean think that's education
3: is free. Public education, public education is not free. It's not free to the mom and dad, though. It's not yeah. free. They pay taxes, okay? Each child comes in taxes tax
0: yeah, with $600. But, but
2: whether you have a kid or not, you're paying that tax. Yeah, so
0: in the 310 there's no
1: cost yes. for public okay, so education. It's,
3: I'm, I'm just trying to do the math on this thing. So where is the bulk of that money? Come bulk from. of
1: that money, uh, it says here... Uh, 18% food is the most second most expensive item when raising a child 18% of the total cost in its original calculation. Um the number one is housing. Number one is probably housing. Yeah, it's housing and food. Housing and food are a big part. Clothing is a big and part. C- health care child, care. child care. So what does
3: it cost to clothe a child from uh, uh it doesn't
1: break down that level. Uh, I
3: didn't have that
1: and I knew. Michael it wants it to know yeah. where
2: they're shopping. <laughs> but so
1: but Michael to your point. Not It's RJ. <laughs> The cost of clothing, okay, so clothing became a worldwide sourced good. Right, it used yes. to be. I, I can look back at my my mother saves too many things. Anybody else's mother do that too? Is it yes. a Pittsburgh thing? We um, <laughs> extended all the way to Cleveland. There you the, go. All the uh, way to Cleveland. <laughs> the, uh, I have T-shirts from when I was a kid, and they were made in Hong Kong. Okay, everything my kids get is probably made in China anymore. Mm-hmm. Right, but you can find you know Sri Lanka different things, and. The reason those got outsourced was it became too expensive to make something here, right? And there's different reasons for that. Um, But that factor of, okay, why has it gotten more expensive? All those different components went to go find places to make them more cheaply while retaining a certain amount of quality. And we've run out of places to go make things more cheaply, right? And so those rising tides are lifting all boats, are moving some of these things up. So you have to find efficiencies to create them. That's where you need capital to invest in technology.
3: Well, okay, all right, there's there's a couple of parts.
1: No, down road there. Oh, there. Okay. boy, we're going, so, we okay. gotta get to the meat of today's
0: today. No, Stop the first it. part is, okay, so, so the rising, the rising tide yeah,
3: increasing is the devaluation of the dollar. Okay, so. The cost of inflation then, okay, so, is also part of it, yep. Okay, so you take 60 years, $300,000 60 years ago, how much money was that? Was that 60? Was it 70?
1: So I did an interesting thing the other day. I took the price of a stamp for a post I want to make later. I'm giving it away to anybody who watches this podcast. But the price of a stamp from 19...
3: Government controlled, by the way. So yes. it's, that's probably it's still, not the best benchmark to use. No, no, but it's still,
1: it's interesting. It's from 1917 through now. It's, there's a chart online of every price increase in stamps. And I used just a simple little thing online to put it into today's dollars. And it averages somewhere between 48 cents and 63 cents the whole time. Right, it bounces up and down. Da, da, da. It only went down once in the past like 40 years.
3: That's tying it to the cost of To today's inflation. dollar. Okay, yeah, today's, today's dollar. dollar.
1: Okay. Um, it only went down once when it went down from 47 to 46 cents or something like that in 2016, I think it was, for like a year. Mm-hmm. It went down by a penny. Um, and so I don't, I don't know what the difference in the 300000 now versus then would be. Um, but I think that when you – the challenge when you have all these big statistics is is that what are you putting into them, right? And so the thing is, if you bought a computer in 1985, a personal home computer, you paid a fortune versus what you would pay today for the quality of what that was versus what you get today, right? So it's sort of tough to match those things apples to apples. But as Kevin
3: said, though, that's the one thing that technology is – the cost is always driven down – that's a whole other part of the discussion, but my metric is the, is the loaf of bread Volkswagen mm-hmm. uh, metric, not the, not the stamp, but it's the same thing, okay? When I was a kid, a loaf of bread was 19 cents and a Volkswagen was $1,900. Well today, a loaf of bread is $279 and a Volkswagen, you get one for $27,000. Maybe you can, maybe you can't, I don't know. But that, at the time that I used the, the analogy, that's where it was. Yeah. The loaf of bread didn't get any better. In fact, it probably got worse. And the car didn't get any better. It probably got worse. But the the cost of the dollar was just... It just kept on losing all of its value. It's the hidden tax. Yeah. I'll I'll give you that part.
0: Mm -hmm. All right. So, Paige, what's your final thought on this before we move into the meat (laughs) of where today's conversation is headed? Does it make you want to throw up?
2: Yeah. 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 I mean... Yes, I don't know how like I mean seven children in in today's world, I feel like you hear of that so seldom because just the sheer expense. I mean, I know I know people who always wanted to have large families, but them large families now is is three max four children. Mm-hmm. You know, my my parents and my parents' parents five like they all had five children, seven children. Right. My my grandparents I think had like thirteen and nine in their mm-hmm. family and that's you can't I mean if you adjusted that to inflationary <laughs> guidelines, it I still think it would be an enormous increase proportionally now what it costs oh, I think. to what you to what it takes to raise the children. So
1: But the standard has also risen in that time the expectations right. have risen you know when I and, when, and, when you were a child a, a Nintendo and a Razor scooter and all these different things weren't they necessary didn't, they yeah. didn't have them they didn't
3: have them weren't necessary okay so you had when I was a kid
2: my parents hired a babysitter for six dollars an hour that chain smoked the whole day she watched us
3: <laughs> <laughs> when I was a kid minimum wage was a dollar eight <laughs> Right. So it's it's like you can't. It's just a completely different. Animal. New
1: York New York Times, nineteen eighty one. The best uh, minimum wage is zero dollars. As I, my point to I agree to the, to the podcast is is over the seventy years that I'm talking about, the society uh, as we have it has fallen in love with the concept of using debt from the f- today, borrowing from the future to finance a lifestyle we can't afford, and so to your point of, you know, why why don't people have these families anymore, because we borrowed from my grandkids' future to pay for today's things. So if we wanted to get back to the society that we think we should have and want to have, and we pay lip service to, we have to make hard decisions now to do those things, but there's not the political will to do those things.
3: We also didn't have the distractions back then that you have today.
1: Not in the same form. Not in the
3: same form, but you know, it, it just—it's just a different kind of life. You don't have—you uh, you had more kids because you did more things with your kids, okay? Now you have more kids. You got to take them to here. You got to take them to there. You got to schlep them all around there. They, I gotta tell you,
1: as a father of seven, though, you get to choose one sport.
3: <laughs> <laughs> but when, as one a, as a child of six, yeah. You didn't have to choose one sport, you could do whatever you wanted. It's just that your parents didn't cart you to those places. Because you could walk places. You could walk places and you go there. You can right. ride your bike. You can talk you can about zoning if you want.
0: No, no, no. no. All right. So
1: also we're...
2: before, because I'm going to catch so much heat for this, I'd just like to let the record show I'm joking. My mom didn't hire a chain-smoking mm. babysitter to watch us.
1: Sorry, <laughs> mom. Because my, my dad, my dad,
2: dad's hip to the pod now. I don't want to get lectured wow. for painting a bad picture. Hip to the <laughs> pod. <laughs> okay. So right.
0: the the transition, which I think is an interesting one, is. If it costs three hundred thousand dollars per kid, you need to make money in theory to raise children um, and your post on LinkedIn was all about risk and investing mm-hmm. and really interested to dig into it but um, give us a little color on your philosophy on how do you how do you take practical risk in order to try to deal with the fact that in round numbers, you've got $2.1 million of expense that's growing every single day.
1: Yeah. Um, so practical risk. so the beauty of risk is you can measure it not perfectly, but you can measure it. And, uh, I, if anybody at my company listens to this, they will laugh because I am not a spreadsheet wizard by any means, but you can take a measure of a couple of different factors. You can take a measure of the person behind the, the role, behind the thing you're looking at, um, and see you know, do they have a history of any success. Uh, you can use other factors around it. There's a guy I used to study named Mike Parker. Um, he came and taught us in Montana um, when I was doing real estate sales out there, and he had three things he looked at in real estate. It was location, concept, and timing. And he had this great little speech of, you know everybody says location, location, location. He goes, it's mm-hmm. all crap. It's location, concept, and timing. Um, And I sort of have pilfered that and applied it to investing because location matters. If you buy the wrong side of the street, even if you have the right concept and timing, your location's bad. Right. Right? Um, And the same thing can apply when you look at uh, even investments in stocks or uh, other financial instruments because... If you look at location as the stock, the concept is, okay, where's this thing going? Your timing, sometimes timing's not in your control. Sometimes you have the money. Oh, it's raining. It's
2: um, really raining. raining. It's really
1: raining. Sounds so, like
0: gateway's about to Sometimes you have
1: uh, control over the timing. You can apply it. But other times, if you're doing a 1031 or something, you got to apply the money in a certain amount of days. You don't have a choice. Right. right? It's got to happen. So um, from my standpoint, it's, it's sometimes about just Sitting back, measuring the thing, getting comfort level with where it's going to go, and then to the point about the 10-year thing, looking at, okay, how how could this go right and how could this go really wrong, right? Because take, for example, I have a, I have a friend who is in uh, the computer world, and he told me, I want to say more than 10 years ago, that in five years, we'd all be driving self-driving cars because look at how fast we converted from horses to horseless carriages in the Henry Ford era. And I told him, I said, you are so wrong. You don't, you don't understand how hard it is. I know you're making the chips, but you do understand, but you seem to not understand how hard it is to get um, through the snowstorm in a self-driving car. right? Because even with LiDAR and all these different things, well, look, as he said, <laughs> it's funny. He goes, well, we'd hand you back control then. And I said, well, that's the worst idea I've ever heard. You're going to take control of the car all the times it's sunny and nice out. And then when it pours rain like this and it's really hard to drive, you're going to give back control to somebody who hasn't driven in three months? Right. Like that's a terrible idea. So that those are the kind of things I look at and go, if I can logic through that, I'll go, I'm not investing in self-driving cars. And if you've seen it most of them have cratered
0: yeah i was talking to the ceo of Motional, which is hyundai's self-driving car and he said you actually have self-driving cars in vegas right now because there's no rent or no rain and the roads are all straight and perfect mm-hmm. and he said Great environment for that you're a few years away from being totally autonomous in a town like vegas pittsburgh he's like 25 30 years maybe because of the it's rain fine. he said the hardest thing that they haven't figured out is the rain and they don't know how they're ever going to figure it out
1: I, I'd be intrigued to figure out how they figure out snow Yeah, when it covers everything and it's all white and reflective.
0: I think they're taking the theory that no one will be on the roads when it's snowing. I,
3: I, I also think that whatever numbers that we put on it, it's probably going to be faster than that because they're going to come up with something that we can't measure as a metric that is going to figure it out. But I agree, it's not ready yet and the timing of that is not acceptable here versus acceptable in Vegas.
0: So, self driving cars is one thing, and it's crazy. And like your friend said, it'll be here in five years, it might it's be 30, it might be 20 years later. Yeah. But I want to go back to the reason we asked you to be on because you talked about risk and back to the whole child thing, like trying to create a revenue stream to pay for these children um, and investing. And you had three very distinct rules Remind for how you that. invest.
2: Well, <laughs> I'm going to go in reverse order because we talked a
0: little bit about discovery. But in reverse order, and I intentional about this because I think most people don't get to two and one. Uh-huh. I think most people get stuck on your last piece, which is you spend all of your work energy on something that you're a uh, subject matter expert on. Like try to be, yeah, yeah, right. So you use it's easy when I'm in a field of one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you're being a little silly on that. No, but. there's no
1: other technology like ours, so it's fun in your field of okay. one.
0: Well, so. Fair enough. Um, But you're in a technology space where there's always going to be disruptors and people trying to eat your lunch, right? So you spend that energy to collect the paycheck, but that's only one piece of your three-headed approach, right? Right. Um, And did you always know that you would focus on that one first, or were you thinking about one and two? And one and two in your world is investing in the stock market, but using a professional which we can talk about a little bit and then investing in other humans, yeah. which presumably means other companies that need capital or real estate or whatever the case may be. Right. So in reverse order, like when did you know you had to switch from just your job to looking at one and two?
1: Um, I think when I moved back here from Montana, um, so if I give a backstory on that real quick, moved back here from Montana in 2011. Um, Around the same time, the company that we owned then went bankrupt. So there was a whole series of lessons I learned through that experience. Sure. Um, we and, might have to
0: have you back for podcast yeah. number. No and when
1: I did one of the best deals of my real estate career, post that experience, where uh, someone owed me debt, uh, I had the debt against their property. I convinced them to sell me the property. I put more money in, bought the property, put more money in, fixed the property, ran the property for a couple of years, and then sold the property for a number that was very attractive. Okay. Right. And did that without visiting the property once in the years I owned it. I didn't go back. I didn't need to because I had people I trusted to do the work. So that goes back to sort of that point of if you can trust certain people to do things for you, you can trust to invest in them. Whether it's investing in them for them to create a return for you or investing in them to accomplish something for you, you can get outsized returns in that way. Sure. Right? And too many people, um, it's the sort of variance of it. Um, There's a thing you can read about online about solo entrepreneurship where you create a business that's just you, that only you run, that only you are involved in. There's people who make decent livings doing that. Yeah. Right? Um, But I find it to be much more advantageous if you can look at a company and go, okay, who runs that company? Right? And The beauty of today is you can follow the top 5 or 10 or 50 people in a company that's public or even a private company on LinkedIn and see a lot about them. What do they think like? Are they getting distracted by every trend that comes along or are they focused on what they're doing? And so you can get a pretty good sense of, okay, do I want to invest in that company? Are they mission-focused and actually doing what they say they're going to do? That's a distinct advantage to your point earlier. you know, We didn't have that ability 30 years ago, mm-hmm. right? And, I mean, that's fascinating. How much...
0: I guess it's a two-pronged question. How much time do you spend following those people that you trust? Um, And not just on LinkedIn, but in whatever forms you can. And then um, have you had a situation where you've seen a change in that person that made you think, you know what, I'm probably not going to reinvest?
1: Well, I outsource the following the market to somebody who's a professional to do it because I don't think I'm smart enough. I don't think I'm focused on it. I don't think I do You mean well the stock market? Stock market. Okay. Yet. I don't do that. Um, but in businesses I've invested in... And do they
0: have... I'm sorry. Yeah. This, there's so many questions. Like There's so many layers of this onion. Do they have autonomy to make decisions about that investment? Yeah. Yeah. Up to certain thresholds? Nope. Nope.
1: Trust Pure you autonomy. to do it. Go ahead. How about it. So if one day, if all of a sudden it went all cash, I go, oh, I guess that's what we're doing. I don't know. Okay. Okay. Um, Because ultimately, if you don't give somebody the autonomy and they don't have the ability to make the decision, why are you paying them? Right. What's the point? I'm paying you to babysit me. I don't need that. Sure. I need I need you to do something that you think is intelligent with what you're in. And it's also having a long-range view, right? Mike was talking earlier about inflation over the time period. The reason the stock market works so well is it has the ability to um, internalize the inflation over the long over the long haul, right? So. Uh, you can raise prices, right? Right. So, um, one of the things I invested in the past few years was uh, self-storage business, because they can raise prices on a daily. Yeah, it's, it's absurd. And the right? sticky, sticky, sticky customer base, and the transient customer base. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. The sticky base is actually interesting. You have to wait longer to raise the price on them, because they have like an annual renewal or something. Mm-hmm. The guy who comes in when he moves out of his apartment and he's got a two-week stayover until he goes to the next thing, he's your best guy.
3: He's the interim guy. Mm-hmm. He fills the square and he fills it at top price. He fills it and then the next guy that comes in, you get more. You can adjust yeah. If you Yeah, so need to. you're increasing your prices three times within a short window. Right. It's, uh, Is it, 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 and, then, and then so the, the diversification of the wealth management guy. It's not like you're just giving him the money and the autonomy. He goes off on his own and, you, you know, you call him when you retire. It's you have a metric where you can go back there and say, okay, how did we do this year? Sure. What did we do? So you have an ability to go back and speak with an expert with that corpus of your portfolio and say, okay, what do we do here? What do we do right? What do we do wrong?
1: And I, and I measure it again. It, there's a lot of people who, um, as people in my network who critique me for saying, you know, that I used somebody like that. Why don't you just put it in an index fund? And I said, well, the problem with an index fund in my mind is what happens when the index goes down and everybody goes down and then the the machine flash crashes its way to the bottom? I don't don't want to be there for that. I want to have selected something I think has intrinsic value over the long haul, whether I'm right or wrong, at least I made a decision, right? Yeah. Um, I'd rather die on a decision than go, I don't know, the world just crushed me.
3: Well, whether he's right or wrong... Also, he has the ability to move quickly. Sure. And he can adjust when he sees something coming or a question, whether, again, right or wrong, right. he has the ability. He's right. on site. And what
0: advice do you give the pages of the world who are... <laughs>
1: Can't wait to hear how this goes.
0: I think it's fair to say stuck in the third bucket, which is just focusing on a career, and not on the first two to how do they find that person? Like, how does Paige Myers find the person that she, whether it's $5 or $500,000, she could give them and say, I trust you, go do this.
1: Uh, As a financial stock type role? Yeah, the stock
0: role. We'll stick with that one. Um,
1: Well, if you post on LinkedIn and say you're interested in it, I bet you
0: 400
1: people will get you. Uh, So don't do that. Don't do that. Uh, I would say that the... The the way I found the best people in my career is by asking. Just ask, you know. Mm -hmm. Ask somebody you trust who uh, you know has done decently in life, like, what do you use, right? And I wouldn't, some people make the mistake of asking somebody they know that has the most money. It's the wrong person to ask. Mm -hmm. You wanna ask somebody who's in your network who might have more or less money than you do, but has the right mindset you do, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: right? It's like the person I use I use partially because my wife likes that person, because she's risk-averse. So that's why I'm diversified the way I am, which is my risk is taken by me daily doing my job. That's where my risk is, right? right? She tolerates that. She said, but over there, that risk is low risk because I trust that person did not take as much risk, right? So that's a marital balance in my world. Sure. Um, it's, it's sort of knowing what you're looking for, because being distracted by the big dollar signs can lead you down a path that you don't want to go down.
2: Right. And then as far as diversification within your investments, um, you are also an investor in like outside of the stock market, correct?
1: Yeah, so individuals who were starting businesses or businesses that needed cash or... Um, I mean, the opportunities that came up in 2020 were 20-year opportunities. Mm-hmm. They were stupid good, and if you had cash, you'd better have invested it because... Right. They're now worth three, four x some of them, right? So it's it was a uh, who, who I forget is it Warren Buffett that says uh, you know invest when everybody else is fearful, right? Yeah. It was exactly that, and I was admittedly I was in my office going, oh, okay, <laughs> <laughs> this is fun. He got that phone call from me too, Yeah. but fortunately didn't have to go down the. But it was it was a fun time because I right. was sitting there fortunately with some cash, and I said okay there's going to be people who have good businesses who just hit a patch right, mm-hmm. right. and they need a, a way to get over the patch and then okay great but now you own 5 10% of something that or something that pays you a 7% dividend every year that's not a bad thing to have right and that's sort of been my goal is build up things that pay you 5 7 10% dividends year over year and if you get those and then all of a sudden you're creating something that creates $15,000 a year in revenue to you you're like okay
3: Nice. But those, those opportunities, okay, so the 20-year the, the opportunities come when, you know, people are fearful. People are fearful because things are bad. Something's yeah. hit the fan at that point in time. Right. And so having cash is always good because you yeah. can recognize those opportunities. Yeah.
1: And usually anymore, they're financial. Yeah. They're, they're financial things created by the inflation things. It's all, Whatever, it goes the, whatever thing.
3: happened, the reason yeah. was something went... They, they hadn't anticipated something that you couldn't anticipate over a long period of time. Right. But
2: and so you had kind of answered this um, in your um, discussion about why you don't invest in index funds, but in other opportunities outside the stock market, do you do any fund investment there? Or is this all individual opportunities?
1: Um, I guess I don't know what that would be.
2: Are you investing
1: in like a private equity fund?
2: Or a or real estate fund of any type
1: that not de- exactly. There's um there's a company I invested in that is a uh did a uh, what are they called, convenience store chain in the past couple of years. Um and so it's it's it might be considered a fund because of the way it's structured. But to me it was, you know, it was focusing on real estate. It's all this going capacity. to this one
2: company. Right. It's all going right. towards this
1: focus. And it right. might be a fund in some terminology that the SEC cares about, but...
3: Well, your wealth manager might also be invested in funds. Right. Mm-hmm.
1: So I, for me, I, when I look at businesses, like Pittsburgh has a lot of small businesses, but it has a very uh, underdeveloped investment crowd um, when you compare it to some of the other big markets where technology gets created, and it's interesting... I think part of that, and this is an unpopular opinion, and people don't like this, and they might not like it when I say it, but I think part of that is the fact that the state government has the, um, oh, I forget what it's called now. It used to be called the Ben Franklin innovation thing, and I forget what they call it now here in Western PA. But they give out funds to companies um, to help them get started, and they tout themselves as this great thing. Um, We looked at those funds in 2011-ish when we did our company back then, and it came with this caveat that was, we are always with you. You can never get rid of us. Meaning if they gave you 50 grand to help start your company, they could invest in follow-on rounds forever, right? right? And I didn't really love the idea of having the government as my business partner for the rest of my life. And because there's that uh, free money type of thing at the outset of a lot of companies now, there's not as much opportunity for private investors to go in and start those things because our cost of capital is higher. Um, So I think that's reduced the amount of capital invested in companies around here. But I look for those type of companies because they could be really smart companies. There's a lot of smart bodies that come out of Pennsylvania, especially Western PA, Mm -hmm. for manufacturing and healthcare and all these things that we do here. We've got a lot of smart brains kicking around here.
2: Yeah. And how are you... How are you finding those opportunities? Are those people generally finding network. their way to you, or network.
1: absolutely network? Okay. It's all people that you know who go. Um, and I, I, maybe it was Kevin who told me at one point. He said, "People who do deals do deals." <laughs>
3: Wise, and it was, words, Kevin.
0: Wise words. Wise words.
1: It must have been the bourbon. But it was. But his point was. His point was, if you become somebody who's involved in deals, you do deals. If you're not you write deals, that down for if you are an investor, people looking for money will try to find. It. They'll try to find. It. Well, they'll, they'll, they might. Buy, somebody who also is an investor will say, "I heard this guy might do deals," or he knows people who do deals. Yeah. Right? It becomes a small circle of people. Right? Yeah. It was a Rileyism. It was a Rileyism.
0: But it is interesting. You know, I, I was just having lunch with uh, somebody who would be considered at the top of the food chain in bucket number one, the fund or a you know, stockbroker, stock manager, mm-hmm. advisor, um, and we were talking about my previous career and how I got to Totem, and prior to this two or three year window of my life where I was in a very intense doing deals, meeting lots of people who were doing deals, I don't think I knew how simple it really is once you're in that network of people who do deals do deals. Um, It is fascinating how quickly you realize that capital is not the problem. There is capital. There's capital. Um, (coughs) It's always capital. Concept, location, and timing.
1: Opportunity. Are the. That's the. And and, um, the person who can execute. That's the thing that isn't written in there. That is, you look for people who execute. Um, There's a friend of mine who I'm invested in this thing right now. It's called Carbonara. Uh, Luke Panza, he's um, actually in Norway doing a... Was he no weight? He was no weight. That's what I thought. Um, He's in Norway doing this, what I would call, worldwide business. It's focused on U.S., Latin America, uh, North America, Europe. Um, But its application can be worldwide. And it's, you know, he's an executor. He doesn't not do the right things to get there. Right. Does so he I have stumble? Fun. Sure. Does he do things wrong? Sure. But ultimately, he's the kind of guy who executes. Right. So when he called and said, oh, I'm looking at it, I said, yes. He said, you didn't even let me finish. I said, yes. What do you want to like, just tell me what you're looking for. I, I'll find a way to get it done because I know he executes, right? right. Um, my brother Charlie's the same way. If Charlie says I'm going to do this thing. I just say yes. I don't, I ask the details later. I figure out whatever I need to figure out. But there's certain people that um, when you bump into them, you realize that if they are involved in something, they're going to put their energy behind it. You want to be on that train. Now, will they always be perfect? No. Right. Right. Will you lose some money? Sure. But um, I feel like more often than not, um, you'll win. And that's, that's your goal is you know, if you can hit enough decent size singles, doubles, triples, that'll make up for some strikeouts. That's okay. We're into mm-hmm. metaphors.
2: And sports metaphors. Yes. You're killing it. Yes. Yeah.
0: <laughs> How do you decide what's... <laughs> palatable in terms of in any given investment like is it a percentage of your net worth is it a percentage of what you think uh, like do you have just a a bucket where you say this is to go play with and if I lose it all that's okay or how do you think about um, I hate losing money okay
2: he's got seven (laughs) kids (laughs) Uh, I haven't (laughs) met anybody
0: who likes losing money just yet in my life uh, I how do I? The determination is like based Luke called and said, "I'm doing this carb, yeah, carb, Got carbonara, him. carbonara."
3: God, I'm getting hungry for carbonara.
1: How do you decide what's what's well, available? Acceptable cash. available cash drives it first. Okay, right. So if you're low on cash, I don't care how good the idea is, you might be frozen out. Yeah. First of all, is it a field you can play in? Right, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. So I, I've been called on deals that I thought were really good deals, but they had five million dollar minimums. I was like, well. <laughs> Sorry, I don't play that big.
0: Um, the, uh, net- Have you ever borrowed money? No. No. Borrowed money to invest.
1: So one of the lessons I learned in the bankruptcy experience was debt kills you. Okay. Because when you absolutely need that bank, they go, oh, so sorry, Mr. Dolan. We just can't find that paperwork anywhere. Um, so sorry to all my friends at Big Bank, but I don't trust you guys when you are necessary at that moment, right? Because time has shown me that for all the other investors I've watched and studied, right? Um, And that's not uh, necessarily a slight against them. I understand that. They're like, hey, you're going down. I don't want to go down and chase that down. Right. right?
0: Throwing good Um, money
1: after bad. Throwing good money after bad. So available cash is a big part of it. And then the second part is, I just generally call it risk tolerance. Do you look at it and say, okay, how likely is this to be successful? What's the hurdles between here and there? You got to get okay. You got to get this to happen. You gotta get that to happen, and then, well, that has to happen. Who are you competing against, right? And when you start to see that, I mean, what's really fun is things you can find that have few competitors, um, a relatively cheap and easy path to to the market, um, and a good executor. Okay, now you start to get a package where you go, okay, this might have a possibility. Um, that is sort of it's not a, a scientific. Approach, right. That's really a gut. more...
3: Well, I don't even know if it's a gut. I think that's just the true element of risk-reward. Yeah. You know, it's the beta. What's the volatility? Let me identify everything I know that could be good. Let me identify everything I know that could be bad. And then the thing I'm really dealing with is, what don't I know?
1: And, and I'll bounce it off people who I think might have input. So if it's a real estate question, I'll ask you, does this look ridiculous, <laughs> right? <laughs> right, And you can usually give me a quick, no, that looks ridiculous. Don't do that. Um, and there's other people I know in different avenues where I'll bounce it off and just say, what do you think of this? Is there anything here that I should be running, screaming from? Or do you go, oh, okay, good, bad, good potential, right? Mm-hmm. Um, cause I'm not the, I learned long ago, I'm definitely not the smartest guy in the room. Mm-hmm. And so I try to, learn from what everybody else has learned before and leverage that to my advantage. Because most people will answer one question for you for free. Yeah. They'll do it. They'll say, yeah, I I know that guy. He's a cheat. Or I know that guy. He's a good guy. Well, (laughs) right there. That can can drive you yes, no real fast.
0: So that is an interesting one. How important do you think the reputation is?
1: I think you don't have much else.
3: Yeah. It's everything.
1: Yeah. Because... We could all sit here, and everybody listening to this podcast could sit here and think about three people that they wouldn't ever give a dollar to. Right. Just wouldn't do it, right? And you can think about three people, you'd be like, yeah, I'll give them my last dollar. Maybe my second to last dollar. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, those people all exist, and reputations, what's the old line? You know, it takes forever to build it and two minutes to lose it, right? Right. So, um, you know, we talk about part of the game as a father of seven. It's part of my sales pitch sometimes. People go, well, you know, how do I trust your company to do the thing that you say you're going to do? The world's a small place that I play in. I said there's only 300-some, you know, potential customers. And I tell them, I'm a Catholic father of seven. I have no interest in going home and having to explain to my wife and children why I did something wrong. It's not part of how I want to spend my day. Right. So I'm on a podcast talking about it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. So it, it. this will probably be the last question, I think, on this topic, but... How important is the what's known as like the OM, the offering
1: memorandum? Do you even read it? Uh, I do. You know, the more important question is do I understand it? <laughs> <laughs> they're so long and legalese and regulatory, right? That you have to look for certain pieces of them. Um, the one of the ones, some of the people use things that are called uh, safes that uh, Y Combinator did out of California. Those are easy because they they're standard form. Okay. And so if you read one, they're all the same. Uh, so sometimes you can learn a lot by just reading one. Other times, like when I invested in the um, multi, not the multi uh, the storage units business, um, if you read one, all the rest of the deals are gonna be pretty similar. You can turn to the certain sections and understand okay, what are the cri- what's criteria? What's different? Right? Right, what's different? Um. And you get a cadence once you start to understand them. The ones that are – if you can't understand them, then you shouldn't invest in it. Right? If they're, starting to be, if they're starting to be, like, well, I don't know what that really means. I mean, that just sounds like a great idea. I and mean, if the guy's last name is Ponzi, you, know, you, just, <laughs> you just want to avoid that. Right? Right. But that's – people get caught up in things. I mean, look at Lord Town Motors over in Ohio, right? Is it still called that? I don't know, they changed but that was, again. that was the one that yeah. came to mind for me. Sure. Right? And look at all the crypto things that went uh, oh upside boy. down real fast. Right. Right? And what's it? Uh, is it Tether right now that's supposed to be... Um, since 2017, I think it was, Tether's supposed to be providing their audit. It's, it's going to be just a few more months. Just you wait. You know, five years. No right. big deal. So, like, at some point you go, well, that's bullshit. <laughs> right? And right? you don't put your money there. That's Okay. You gotta be discerning that that's uh that's one of my lines I use sometimes I'm like everybody discriminates. We're all discriminating. Those type of discriminations, right? It's a right. bad idea to put my money there. You put your time here. Sure. Right? So you're saying this is worth my time. That's okay. This has been awesome. What
0: do you, you think? And
3: you make that decision of time all the time. All the time. Okay. Is this worth working on? Yeah, if I made it's the not to come here on, and do this. If, not, if, you, if you have that question going We're in. Very it's very grateful, like, too. Because <laughs> there's going to be another one coming in. Well, mm-hmm. and and if you don't, if you aren't super jealous
1: of your time, no one else will be. All right? They will all take your time, and they mm-hmm. will pay you very little for it. And it's and you'll sit there at the end of the day and go, what did I do today? All right? There's an old story about J.P. Morgan. I think it was him. Someone said, I'll give you this secret uh, if you pay me 10,000 bucks. And he said, okay, well, I'll pay 10,000 bucks if I like the secret. And he said, write down what you're going to do every day before you start the day. Some story like that. And he paid him. Um And, you know, that's a little stupid habit that I have. Is every morning I sit down, I just have a yellow sticky note, and I write down, okay, I'm going to try to do these three things today. Don't always get them done, though. But it helps me go, because we've all sat there at our desk and go, what am I supposed to be doing right now? <laughs> Right? Michael, just I'm walk. looking forward to that day. Well, but, you know, someone <laughs> right. walks in, interrupts you, and you go, what was I doing? Right. Oh, okay, I could at least have that to bounce back to other than the 12 things on my computer screen to think about. So, What it, was that line? If you're not jealous
0: of your time, nobody else will be?
1: Sure. <laughs> <Was> that,
0: <laughs> I, that's a, I, we're
1: going to get that up on the board. I like that one a lot. Well, I mean, think about my perspective. I have seven kids that want time with me every day. Mm-hmm. Right. So if I don't cut you off at some mm-hmm. point, talking to me on the phone or cut that person off from my email address or just put my phone down i don't get to them you just get hijacked right right so my duty is to raise them that's my primary duty after that everything else sort of falls in line sure so
2: so my takeaway from what you've said and let me know if i'm misquoting or miss summarizing but
1: you're hoping I remember, this is good.
2: No, like a, ge- a general theme that I'm getting from what you have said today is you really invest in people rather than companies or stocks, or you invest in the people that have the expertise that will get your money to where you want it to go.
1: Uh, I, I would say you're misquoting that you're focusing on one thing. It's a, it's a habit of uh, culture these days to focus on one thing as the reason for something. Um, My my add-on to what you said is people's part of it, but there's there's always more to it than just one thing, right? You want to look for the facets of something to understand it from multiple angles, right? So like we started with this question of why has cost gone up for certain things? There's always more than one reason. Right, but but the headline
2: is always one thing. The headline one we live
1: in is always <laughs> one This thing. one thing drove it up, and this one
0: person It's like the best. It's always just that no, one no, thing. No, it just, right. That's,
3: that's <laughs> what grabs you—the bite. Right. that has nothing to do with the story. Right,
1: but that is always the flaw in our society: is that we don't understand that everything comes from a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Right,
2: and your your the three points that. Um, The gentleman you said that you look to a lot for this, he said location, timing, and... Concept. Concept.
1: In real estate, And then the person driving. (laughs) Well, and and that can be part of those three different things. But yeah, that's... The person driving to me is when you see an operating business. Right. Location, timing, and concept is around a real estate investment sort of purely.
3: Mm -hmm. Um,
1: He he was applying that in uh, high-end resort development that we were doing. So, you know, you got to... You got to massage it to the different things you're looking at, depending on what it is. Yeah, when yeah, I, I hear concept, even if
0: it's people, or even if it's an operating company, the concept is the humans or the what need are they
1: solving? Yeah, what are they solving for? And the for? location is right.
2: just the situation in the, the universe, universe that it's. In. Universe right. that it's well, yeah. As an
1: example, <laughs> if if a business came up for sale today in um, in New York State, I wouldn't buy it. I wouldn't invest a single dollar in New York State because they're 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 uh, conceptually they aren't in favor of business, right? Now, if it came up for sale in Pennsylvania, maybe a little more interesting. Came up for sale in uh, Tennessee, definitely interested, right? Because there's a scale I look at there and go, okay. Those states are growing more for a reason. These states are growing less for a reason. or are shrinking, and so those sort of simple macroeconomic things can drive some of that stuff. Makes sense. I love when I can make all the you, you go like uh, Portland. Stuff. Oregon. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we investing. I, I have a family member that uh, lives out there. Sorry, right? Portland. And I will Yeah, I'll, great beer to shoots. I have a family member that lives out there and I have two family members who have moved from there in the past five years. And we have uh, a
0: client who just sold all their real estate there.
1: Right. And it's it's not uh, an attractive package right now. Right. Right? Beautiful city
3: god are you being kind
1: no it has It has. it's
3: it's not an attractive package yeah it has but
1: it has have you you've been there yeah yeah it has beautiful parts to it yeah right the hotels fun, down the waterway
3: to take utopia and turn it into a yeah. cesspool <laughs>
0: That's, that's probably yeah, a little bit, bit more candid.
3: All right. It's not an attractive package.
0: So in conclusion.
2: <laughs> <laughs> we had the moment. We had the moment. Cooper's. The quiet moment. We could have wrapped it up. Someone made eye contact with Michael, and here we are. And
0: here we are. Wow. So what's your take on the bourbon?
3: I actually liked it. That's it's really been not, so long since I tasted it. Yeah, today. that's really not. Uh, uh,
0: Where did it come from? That's
3: a I very think good it's a, question.
0: Louisville, Kentucky.
3: It's Louisville. It's a, a brown foreman.
0: I thought it was boring.
3: Uh huh. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah, how was it just boring? boring?
0: There's just nothing I think, nothing to I it. think their,
3: their hook is that they uh, they they make their own um, barrels. Why does that matter?
0: Who knows? Oh, well, the barrel is what one.
3: makes the bourbon. I know. Do but, you remember how much it costs? But couldn't you buy a good barrel? Hmm?
1: Do you remember how
0: much You, you could, but
3: if I you control like the bucks? growth of the barrel not. from, you know, how it was made and what kind of wood it is and how uh, it's aged and burnt and so on wow and so boy. forth. It's, it's, the, charring the, it's the, the charring, of the, charring of, the of the barrel. So are you buying or selling? Oh, this one, it's uh, I'd pass on mm-hmm. it just because it's a... Uh, Sorry, Cooper's. Uh, I'm a seller too. No, there's too many other ones in that price point that I'd probably... <laughs>
2: yeah, we know we like that. What's the one we... Uh, Need to ban from this office.
3: <laughs> <Bradford>. <laughs> all smells like Saturday Bradshaw. morning
1: in college Bradshaw. to me. Bradshaw. <laughs> Bradshaw. Boy,
2: you, you, in you. the $30 a bottle price bill. point, Michael's Bradshaw all day and twice on Sundays. <laughs> Three times on a Wednesday night. When if he I was in
3: college, we never got to the bourbon. It was just a little bit too pricey. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, of course.
2: I, lo- I don't mind it. I like it. So
1: you're a buyer. Yeah. Grandma will do that to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wore it today just to, you know. I like show
3: that. up. I'm a big spirit wear guy.
0: <laughs> you are Mr. Spirit wear. It has been awesome having yeah. you. Thank, Thank you yes. so much. Thank you for joining us. This was really Thank wonderful. Thank you so much. Should we get we Michael return? in trouble enough? No. 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 This no. Was we very We could tame. have gone <laughs> down so
2: many Not rabbit holes. I have
0: already decided that the podcast is always going to have a guest because it keeps the turmoil in the room. Way off. He
2: available. brought up a topic at lunch today.
0: Yeah. I didn't.
2: No, yeah, you did. No. You brought it up and instantaneously the temperature of our lunch table
3: <laughs> We had to leave the restaurant. Very spicy. <laughs> I enjoy the debate. The debate's fun.
2: So we got but it out the of our conversation familiar.
3: that uh, that I want to have with you and obviously it's gonna be on offline. offline. Is the American education system? Steve (laughs) Jobs. Steve Jobs said it should be voucher based. (laughs) That's a wrap.
2: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, cheers to episode what?
0: Episode twelve. Episode Episode twelve. Thanks for coming. Thank you for having me.
3: Thank you for coming.